the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Last number 3030. The following program is sponsored Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy offers an important distinction. The worshiping heart will not be a worried heart. The worried heart is not a worshiping heart. They cannot coexist like water and fire, light and darkness, truth and error. They cannot abide each other's presence. The one cancels the other. You and I know God's plans for us. And we live within His providence, knowing that all things work together for good. Welcome to Know the Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Philip DeCourcy, pastor of Kindred Community Church in Anaheim Hills, California. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Today we're in the middle of a series called Less Stress. We're discovering how biblical principles can shape our lives, reduce our stress, and influence the world around us. We're so glad to have you with us today. But if you ever miss a message, you can hear past broadcasts online at ktt.org. But now, let's join Philip for a message titled, Voice Your Concerns. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Paul gives us here patterns and principles that will help us be less anxious. So let's look at these verses, the prohibition, the petition, the protection. Now, the prohibition, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Pretty plain, pretty simple. Stop worrying. It's an imperative in the Greek. It's a command by Paul to stop worrying. Now, here's the interesting thing. The construction of the Greek points to the fact that they were in the process of worrying. So he addresses himself to Christians who have a propensity to worry. And as he writes to them, may well be worrying at this very moment. And he says, cut it out. Got to stop the worrying. Worry about nothing. Why stop worrying? Well, number one, it's fruitless for starters. It's a waste of time, a waste of energy. It's not productive and it produces nothing. Jesus said that, didn't he? In Matthew 6, verse 27. In fact, many believe that Paul may be drawing in his own mind from some of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ here as he addresses his own disciples who have a tendency to worry about what they're going to eat and what they're going to put on. Remember, they're itinerant preachers that kind of walk the plank, so to speak, put it all on the line for Jesus Christ. And what does he say? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to a stature? And there's a debate here. That could also be interpreted. Which one of you can add days to his life? Okay, whether it's inches to your height or days to your life, worry doesn't produce any of that. Worry won't give you anything but ulcers. It won't give you answers. I like what my friend Mark Hitchcock says. Sometimes people will say something like this. I know worry works because when I worry about something, it doesn't happen. Well, let's think about that. 
Here's what he says. It doesn't mean that worry worked. It simply means that most things we worry about never happen. A study, Mark says, found that 85% of what people worried about never happened. And the 15% that did happen, 79% of people discovered that they could handle that situation better than they thought, or they come out of that difficulty with a real good lesson learned. Now, if those are facts, and I think they are, that means that 97% of what you worry over is not much more than a fearful mind punishing you with exaggerations and misperceptions. It's a waste of time. It's not only fruitless, it's sinful. We're back to the fact this is an imperative in the Greek. It's a prohibition. It's a command. It's a no-no. It's a thou shalt not. And if you and I keep on worrying, then we have broken a commandment. It's a sin to break a commandment. In fact, to add to that, over in Matthew 6.30, Jesus says of his worried disciples, O you of what? Little faith. Diminished trust. And you know what? According to Romans 14, 23, that which is not of faith is sin. When you and I are not operating in the sphere of life and living without trust in God, we're outside the will of God. We're sinning because the just shall live by faith. Let's be honest. You can no more steal, lie, cheat on your wife than you can worry. Let's get real about it. It's forbidden. It's sinful it's fruitless. Thirdly, it's paralyzing. Here we're told in Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing. The word anxious in the Greek is a word that carries the idea of a divided mind, a mind that's torn, that goes in several directions. And you know that's a great description of worry because the worried mind is a mind that's swirling, doesn't settle, isn't still. Faith pulls you this way. You know what? I know that God loves me and His providence will work all things together for good and the Spirit of God is my companion and the promises of God are great and exceeding and faith is pulling us this way. But fear pulls us this way. Yeah, but what if? And all of a sudden your mind is divided as this tug of war going on between fear and faith and you're getting, you know, torn down the middle. That's why James will say in James 1, a man who doubts God is an unstable man in all his ways. Finally, it's a bad testimony. It's a bad testimony. For this, we go to the Lord Jesus in Matthew 6. Speaking of food and clothes, speaking of daily pressures and everyday life, Jesus said, you know what? When it comes to these things you guys are worrying about, I'm telling you not to worry about. He tells us in Matthew 6, verse 32, that these are the things that Gentiles seek after. But your heavenly Father knows the things you have need of. But Jesus said, your Father knows the things you have need of. So what's Jesus' point? Worry is the act of an orphan. Let's be honest about it. That's fair. If you or I were an orphan, you'd be worried. You've no parent. So you're at the mercy of the state, which is a big, cold organization. You could fall through the cracks. You're just a number. You're not a person. You're not getting individual attention by a loving mother or a faithful father. If you're an orphan, you're worried. But not if you're the child of a mom and a dad that loves you and have proven their faithfulness. And whatever happens, they're going to do all that they can to take care of you. That's Jesus' point. And if you're worried... You're giving the impression to the world that your heavenly father is a deadbeat dad who can't be trusted. 
How shameful is that? And yet that's sometimes what I do and you do. We give the world the impression that faith in God really doesn't make a lot of difference when it should. Your Father knows the things you need. That's all you need to know to deal with your worry. That's a good challenge. By the way, there's a story that comes out of church history about the second century. A Greek manuscript was discovered that bore the name of a man called Titius Amarimnus. Now, our research tells us the word Titius is a normal, proper name. But the word Amarimnus is made up of two Greek words and was either a nickname or a reputation he had. Because Amarimnus is made up of the Greek word in our text for worry, and the letter A is the negative in the Greek, which means not to worry. No worry. So here's what we believe through our research. This man was probably a pagan, came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior and his Lord, and began to live in the comfort and security of that fact. And he had this reputation. Here comes Titius, the man who never worries. Beautiful. When people see you coming, is that the reputation you have? Or are you just going to immediately spill your guts and talk about your problems and grumble and mumble? Here comes Titius. Titius Amarimnus, the man who never worries. Beautiful. That's what Paul's asking for here. But by the way, this isn't a prohibition against legitimate concern. All right? Paul's not saying you don't need to worry about your school grades. You don't need to worry about your children. You don't need to worry about the state of your country. You don't need to worry about souls that are perishing without Jesus Christ. Paul would never mean that nor convey that. In fact, I'm sure of that because the exact same Greek word over in chapter 2 and verse 20 is used to describe Timothy's care, concern, and proper anxiety for the Philippines. Look at what Paul says. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. That's our Greek word, care. So there is due care, due concern, and there is illegitimate worry. So Paul's not encouraging you to become carefree and careless. He's not encouraging you to go and buy a Volkswagen Beetle, buy yourself a surfboard, leave your job, leave your family, forget about life and all its pressures, and drive up and down the West Coast the rest of your days, riding the waves. No, that's our responsibility. No. He doesn't encourage our responsibility. He encourages a lack of anxiety or an absence. And how might you and I determine that we are caring parents, concerned citizens, responsible employees or employers without crossing that line? That's not an easy line to draw. But as I thought about the words, the things we've already said, I would think one of the gauges is, does fear dominate you? I mean, looking at your week, looking at your day, looking at the disposition of your life, do you tend to fall over more into fear than faith? If fear dominates you, then you're lacking in faith. You're into the illegitimate zone. Are you paralyzed? Do you concern, burdened? That's good. Even staying up an odd night to think that through? Nothing unbiblical about that. But are you beginning to get focused and paralyzed by the issue where you lack joy, you lack direction, you lack purpose. Now you're in the illegitimate zone, it would seem to me, because remember, worry distracts you, pulls you apart. I think the one other thing, is there an absence of calm? 
if you know that your Father knows the things you have need of, that's all you need to know. And you can be still and know that He is your Father and He is the God of the universe. Let's move on. The petition. So that's the prohibition. What about the petition? Paul encourages them to pray their worries away. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't allow life's pressures to pull you in many directions. Allow life's pressures to push you in one direction. The throne of God, the throne of grace. Cast your burden upon Him, and He will sustain you. Psalm 55, 22. 1 Peter 5, verse 7, Casting all your care on Him, because He cares for you. So Paul says, hey, go talk to your Father that knows the things you have need of. Your Father that sees the falling sparrow, numbers the hairs on your head, make sure that the sun and the moon don't collide. Yeah, that Father, Master of the universe, Lord of life, go and talk to Him. Go and spend some time with Him. That's the admonition here. And isn't the comparison striking? Come on, you can't avoid this. I don't know where you're at in terms of how you handle the text of Scripture, but you'll even see this. You can't miss this. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Make your request known. Nothing compared to everything. Nothing contrasted to everything. Worry and prayer are opposites. Those are opposites, nothing and everything. It's not like we'll meet you in the middle. That's the opposite. Worry and prayer are opposites. Like water and fire, light and darkness, truth and error. They cannot abide each other's presence. The one cancels the other. The worshiping heart will not be a worried heart. The worried heart is not a worshiping heart. They cannot coexist. They can't live in each other's presence. You see, you and I know God's plans for us, right? Not to do us any harm, according to Jeremiah 29, 11. We know God's presence committed to us. Nothing will separate us from His presence, Hebrews 13, 5. He's committed to our protection, Psalm 91. Our provision, Philippians 4, verse 19. My God shall supply all your need. And we live within His providence, knowing that all things work together for good. Now, when you know that about God, which will come through you talking to God, worshiping God, thinking about God, meditating upon things that we'll look at a little later on in our series, then you'll realize that nothing is worth worrying about and everything is worth praying about. And there'll be nothing so small that you won't pray about it and nothing so big that you won't pray about it. God's interested in the everyday affairs of life. He's interested that your car would keep going so that you won't be late for work. He's interested when you lose your keys and it's going to make you late for an appointment. He's concerned about the hairs on your head, the little sparrows that fall to the ground. There's nothing too small for God to give attention to and concern for. He cares for His creation from the littlest of the creatures to the greatest of the creatures. He who parted the waters at creation, one day turned water into wine to make sure that the bride's wedding wasn't ruined because they didn't order enough wine. And God's interested in the big things. Nothing's too hard for Him. 
In fact, G. Campbell Morgan tells of a lady who came to him. He was a pastor in England and asked him, you know what, pastor, do you think we should pray about the little things in our lives? To which the pastor answered, Madam, can you mention anything in your life that is small to God or big to God? Everything's small because God's so big. If you have a big God, you've only got little problems. And that's what Paul's encouraging us to do, to go to God about those things. Let's drill down for a moment or two just into the different words that Paul uses here. There's a bit of overlap, a little bit of doubling down here. There's an overlaying of ideas about prayer, but they're worth distinguishing. Prayer. It's the most generic, the most general term for prayer. And embedded into this idea of addressing God. It would be where the Lord's Prayer begins. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a proper addressing of God. There'll be an element of adoration here, a thought of devotion here. And that's so important. I have found it not to be so much the case here as at home in the United Kingdom. When I was at a prayer meeting in the churches I grew up in, when people publicly prayed, invariably, 99% of the time, the first few minutes of their prayer was always focused on properly addressing God. Father, we come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. It was Trinitarian. And then there would be a focusing on God's person or promises and a recounting to God His glory and His beauty. Then at some point, the switch is made and we pray for our daily bread and we pray for deliverance from evil. I don't find that as much in the United States. We are a very consumer-driven culture and it spills over into the church because we go to God and it's straight into the shopping list. And there's so little worship and there's so little addressing God properly, so little reflecting Him. It's maybe why we don't come away at peace as much as we should, because we haven't yet grasped in our prayers how great and big God is. And when God is big, your problems are small. And it's so important that you pray and address God and approach Him properly and see Him for who He is. Nothing is too hard for Him. You can pray about the small things. You can pray about the big things because the big things are small things in the presence of God. Prayer without worship is, as one writer put it, an act of presumption. It's true, Bill. Prayer without worship is an act of presumption. Secondly, supplication. You'll like this. We're getting down to needs. This is a word that carries the idea of a felt need. To supplicate is to entreat, to urgently plead for. In fact, the Greek word here means that which is lacking. So you can go to God about that which is lacking. You can talk to Him about your needs and God will hear. It's the picture of a subject going to the king asking for royal blessing. It's the picture of a child going to a father and asking the father for something. You can do that. You can go and supplicate. As I said, we do that pretty well. What we don't do often well is to address Him properly. They both go hand in hand. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. How much of your praying is peppered with thanksgiving, with praise? Before you go on to the next thing you need, have you ever thanked them for the things you have? For the answers of prayer? In fact, there's several commentators argue that this idea of thanksgiving is you thanking God for the answer to the prayer you've just made and you're asking that in faith. 
given his faithfulness, given his promises, you can pray with expectation. So as you pray to God and you supplicate to God, you can actually express your thankfulness. Lord, I thank you for who you are, great and glorious. Thank you for your covenant love. Thank you for your son. Lord, here's my need. And given who you are and given what I need, I'm thanking you. I believe you can deal with that easily. Wasn't it Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, who said about this very verse, pray and let God worry? Well, God doesn't worry about a thing. That's his point. But if it makes you feel better, pray and let God worry. But God doesn't worry. In fact, I would change that pray and let God go to work. Pray and let God go to work. And that will diffuse your tension and put you a little bit at ease that things are going to work out because God's at work, working them out. Here's the fourth thing, request. Request. This overlaps with supplication. But the idea in request is express specifically your need. Get down to the details. No vague generalities. Don't stumble over your own words. Whatever's on your heart, spit it out. Whether it's small or large, spit it out. Talk to God about it. Let him go to work on it. Pray your worries away. It's so important that you and I do that. It's a privilege to pray, and it's a discipline. You'll never pray well if you're not disciplined. You'll never pray well without a plan. You'll never pray well without getting serious about it. I've told you many times before, I said again, spontaneity is overrated. Be disciplined in your Christian life. Exercise yourself unto godliness. So when it comes to praying, you ought to have a time where you pray. Now, thank God you can pray at any time, anywhere. You can shoot those arrow prayers up, or you can send God an email instantaneously. Nehemiah did it in the presence of the king. He immediately shot a prayer up to God. Anytime, anywhere, that's great. But you can see there are prolonged and disciplined periods of prayer in the Bible. Daniel 6, verse 10. And Daniel's faced with the censorship of King Darius. He'll get thrown into the den of lions. And you know, we read that Daniel went home, he opened his window towards Jerusalem, and he prayed as his custom was. What was his custom? He prayed three times a day. Peter, James, and John go up in the book of Acts to the temple to pray at the time of prayer. What about Psalm 3 and 4? There's a morning prayer and there's an evening prayer. Beautiful. Book end the day, begin it in prayer and end it in prayer. Pray as soon as you get out of the bed. Pray on the bed and pray when you get back into bed. Have a time when you pray. That's Philip DeCourcy reminding us of the importance of prayer in a message called Voice Your Concerns. So glad to have you with us on this Thursday edition of Know the Truth. We're on the subject of prayer today, and prayer is certainly one of the most important disciplines that leads to less stress. But we've all experienced times when it feels like our prayers are hitting the ceiling. So Philip has picked out a special resource on this topic. Author Paul Touches takes on the subject of unanswered prayer in his book titled Brass Heavens. And you'll want to use this resource to look at what may be hindering your prayers and how God's grace can reset your relationship with God. The book Brass Heavens is yours when you make a generous donation to Know the Truth at ktt.org. You can also phone in your gift to 888-644-8811. And if you prefer to send your donation and request the book by mail, address your envelope to Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. 
and thanks for standing with us today. We are a nonprofit ministry, so we trust God to provide through faithful listeners like you. And we hope that today you'll consider making a regular investment with Know the Truth. We need more friends to sign on as monthly truth ambassadors. Your automated monthly support allows you to spread your giving throughout the year, creating a firm foundation for this ministry. Become a truth ambassador today when you sign up online at ktt.org. And while you're online, be sure to request the free Less Stress Bookmark. We've designed it especially for this current series. The bookmark puts the wisdom of Philippians 4 right at your fingertips to guide you to less stress and greater peace. Request the free bookmark at ktt.org. So glad you joined us today. I'm Wayne Shepherd, inviting you back tomorrow for the conclusion of Philip's message, Voice Your Concerns. That's Friday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Are you studying the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee on Through the Bible? We invite you to study with us the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's a complete study of God's Word every weekday, and it's changing people's lives. How about yours? Why not truly mean business with God and determine to study His entire Word? This is Letter Month at Through the Bible, and you can share your thoughts by logging on to our station website. Find out more at WAVA.com, keyword letter. This is Alistair Begg, and this summer I'll be visiting many historic sites made famous over 500 years ago during the Reformation. I invite you to join me on this multi-city tour in Europe that includes a world-class cruise down the scenic Danube River, and along the way we'll study the Bible together and discover what insights the early Reformers gained from Scripture. Join me on this remarkable journey. Go to wava.com, use the keyword cruise, or call 703-807-2211. You cannot live wrong. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.